0: At a time.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're putting pets on the couch. The topic today is pets and PTSD. We've heard about post-traumatic stress disorder afflicting many returning veterans, but the question is, can animals get PTSD, too? Well, we're going to be putting them on the couch today and analyzing them with my guests, who are both experts. In fact, they have devoted their whole lives to protecting, caring for, rescuing, doing everything they can for animals. We have psychologist and researcher, Dr. Lauren Lindner. She's the founder of Parrot Care, and she has a sanctuary for these parrots at the West Los Angeles Veterans Administration Hospital. And we have Tina Salix, who's the author of Paw and Order, Dramatic Investigations by an Animal Cop on the Beat. Um, Dr. Lindner's sanctuary has... uh as its, well, I guess at the root of its success, the uh, concept of having veterans with PTSD, taking care of parrots with PTSD. She's also done research on other kinds of animals with PTSD as well. Tina Salix is a former special agent with the ASPCA's Humane Law Enforcement Division in New York City where she investigated animal cruelty complaints She's also been on Animal Planet's TV show, Animal Precinct. And she was a, before that, she was a mounted officer with the New York City Parks Department. And both of these ladies have um, essentially, as I was saying before their whole lives, before before they were able to, um, before they grew up, when they were little girls, they loved animals. And then they grew up to take care of them. So why don't we, before we get into the, putting the pets on the couch themselves with these ladies on the couch and and um, and hear about how they wound up um, devoting themselves to animals. And I must tell you, you need to get your um, handkerchiefs ready because I was reading this book, Paw and Order, this morning. You can tell I'm from New York, <laughs> Paw. <laughs> Paw and Order. Um and um I have been crying all morning, but not in a bad way. So um uh, it's just very poignant stories and I'm sure Dr. Lindner has her um I know Dr. Lindner has her share of poignant stories as well. So you can get out your handkerchiefs but but you'll be smiling through your tears. So why don't we start? Uh, Lauren, why don't you start with um what <laughs> As a psychologist, you should be particularly well-suited to answer this. What do you think in your childhood, uh, looking back, set you down this path to really being such a protector of animals?
3: I think it was my sister, actually. I would walk with her as a young child, and she'd point out all the different animals in our environment, and uh, it was so loving and so compassionate, I think, that, Certainly, that's something you can learn just as you can learn um, to be aggressive or to be um, uh, uncaring. So I remember one particularly poignant incident where I was walking down the street and stepped on an ant. I was probably four, and she told me that the aunt had a mother and a father and a sister and a brother, and I started crying, and I thought, okay, uh, you don't draw the line at compassion, Wow! (laughs) Wow, that's that's interesting. And how much older was your sister? My sister is thirteen years older than me, so she already was um, a a very strong uh, role model for me as soon as I was born. Huh? And then what happened?
2: Then take us down the road.
3: Oh, and then there were myriad rescued animals appearing at the home. My sister bringing home dogs, my brother bringing home cats. And I just followed along until I developed my love, which was horses. Um, and not long afterwards, birds. And I had a bird, um, like many people do uh, as children. It's the third most commonly kept pet in America. Mm. And. We really didn't know uh, the proper care for this bird. Now, of course, I've learned that they can live as long as we do. Many of them have longevity that approximates humans. And I um, really didn't have any idea, nor did the people selling me the birds at the pet store, um, what the proper care was. And, of course, most people are satisfied with keeping them in cages and feeding them uh, seeds. For decade after decade, and it finally dawned on me as I became more aware and um, I hope sensitive that um, that the needs of these animals weren't being met by those conditions. That uh, if they have wings, they should fly, and that they are actually quite the gourmand in in um, in, in the wild. They eat. Such a variety, a, a diversity of foods that, that uh, we could never um, be able to, to mimic that. So we're giving them this seed, this monotonous diet. And um, I just really felt the, the, the cling, the, the clank of that cage door closing each night. And I, mm. and I realized that I wanted to do something about that. Well, was it a parrot or a parakeet? It was a, actually a half moon parrot. It was a very small one, of the smaller species of parrot. Huh. And so then, then what happened? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> then I uh, still wasn't quite ready, but um, a Moluccan cockatoo came into <laughs> my life, and she decided to teach me the lessons I needed to know so that I could make a difference in the lives of birds. I got a phone call on Christmas Day 20 years ago, that there was a bird that was left in someone's home because she matched the living room decor. Oh. And I have since found that this is not uncommon, uh, not only with birds, but also with dogs, that people will abandon their, their pet, their companion animal, because they find that they no longer meet the, their needs, that they are, um, too messy or that they, you know aren't the right color um i'm not kidding you can go to to shelters and pounds and you can hear these stories repeated many times by shelter workers and anyway i i i was astounded by this and um i said i would call the ASPCA or i'd call PETA and i would try to do something for this bird and um actually there were really no services for birds most of the shelters most of the um um the the pound really weren't taking birds 20 years ago or they really didn't know what to do with them or they just um try to adopt them out immediately but i i um i found that i i couldn't find a home for this bird very easily and of course uh, i said i'd find her a good home and <laughs> so i have i guess because she's been with me for the last 20 years and of course taught me that birds are not happy being in cages and that they aren't incredibly intelligent and also highly social and creative and mischievous and very difficult to maintain in the average household. I mean, I had to really talk about childproofing. I mean, I had to really create an environment for her that was also conducive for me to continue to live in. And I, and I learned that she needed to be with conspecifics. She needed to be with other members of the same species. And that's what allows this this animal, this creature, this really exotic, wild animal that we're keeping in our homes, this is what allows them to thrive. They need to be with other birds. And And thus, the sanctuary began. (laughs) I I, I did get her another bird. She didn't like him. (laughs) And female Moluccan cockatoos in the wild choose their mate. So um, I brought this male home, and she was like, that's not who I would have wanted. (laughs) So she was like, no, keep looking. So I kept bringing different males home, and all of a sudden I realized I'm creating a flock, and she's still not happy. He actually wanted a girl. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) But um, she is now very happy uh, in the sanctuary that I've built uh, with her little girlfriend. They both lay eggs and share the egg-laying duties, and... I don't have to worry about them hatching. <laughs> it's very cuz she's sitting on three eggs now and a walnut because her girlfriend was feeding her a walnut and it rolled over and she decided to sit on that one too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but aren't there but aren't there male parrots or birds in the sanctuary?
3: Oh yes. Yes, but they they can't interrupt this pair at all. They are they are they're bonded pair. Oh,
2: that's they're not interesting. interested
3: in the male. Now, now this is an exception. The truth is the reason why birds are so difficult to keep in the, in, the, in the home, the average home, is because once they become sexually mature, which can vary depending on the species, anywhere between 6 and 12 years old approximately, they become very aggressive toward one gender or the other. So if they're attached to a male, they will, they will start being aggressive towards the, the females in the house, or vice versa. And The, the female birds or the female people? The, uh, the people, the people. So, so, um you have a, um a male bird, let's say, who really likes, um either the man or the woman of the house, who very much has an attachment, then the, that, the, the spouse will become, uh, you know, aggressed against, and the children mm-hmm. of the, of the opposite sex. They become mm-hmm. very attached to one gender, or that one person, and anyone else who comes around that person, they become highly protective, and do what they're, they're, you know, Genetic history tells them to do to protect their mate, and then make sure that they because most of these species are also monogamous for life. They um, they want to protect and make sure that no one else tries to uh, bond or mate with their 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 chosen one. That's very interesting.
2: Yeah. So so then no wonder she uh, (laughs) no wonder the parrot then picked a girlfriend in in the
3: um, Serenity Park. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, about ten percent of them do. I have another pair that are two males. Um, they they're not interested um, in the females. They really love each other and and um, have bonded together. But for the most part, what I try to do is create um, blocks where there are members of the of the same species and of opposite sex, so that they choose each other and they uh, they get to be. Um, they get to be with each other for the rest of their lives, which for the most uh-huh. part doesn't happen in the average household. Mm-hmm. Birds go from home to home every, uh, every couple of years, actually.
2: Okay, well, we do need to take a break. It actually doesn't happen in the average household in America. <laughs> we don't unfortunately. unfortunately. We're, we're, we're getting closed every three years. People are changing mates. Well, we're talking today about pets and PTSD. My guests are Dr. Lauren Lindner, the founder of Parrot Care, and we'll be talking when we come back with Tina Salix as well the author of Paw and Order Dramatic Investigations by an Animal Cop on the Beat. So stay tuned, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Show with Kerry Douglas, broadcasts each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Kerry Douglas Show with Kerry Douglas, your premier source for faith-based entertainment, news, events, and trends.
0: Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com.
5: every Monday at 1 p.m. PST right here on the Voice America channel.
4: VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr.
0: Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about pets and PTSD with my guest, Dr. Lauren Linder, who is the founder of Parrot Care. She's a psychologist and researcher, including research into PTSD in animals. And Tina Salex, who's the author of Paw and Order, Dramatic Investigations by an Animal Cop on the Beat. And before we put pets on the couch, we've been putting my guests on the couch uh, those of you who have listened um, for a while know that this is what I usually do. And, and it's really been fascinating to see how um, these, um, I guess, um, uh, devoted their whole lives to protecting and saving and taking care of animals. We just heard from Dr. Lindner, who was uh, gave her, her story from the time that her sister chastised her for stepping on an ant, to um, this wonderful organization that she founded um, called Parrot Care. She'll tell you more about that as we go along. And now, Tina, let's hear about your, um, <laughs> your path to being an animal, taking someone who who's really devoted her career to animals as well.
6: Well, I guess I'd have to say uh, I have to thank my family for that. We always had pets in our house. I grew up uh, in the Milwaukee area in Wisconsin. We had a big yard, mostly dogs, but we had cats, birds, gerbils, fish, turtles. I mean, you name it, we had it. Uh, I was The only thing I didn't have growing up was a horse. That was always the one thing, and because of our zoning laws, we were not able to put that in our backyard, although we had the acreage for that. Uh, the zoning laws at the time would not allow us to do that, so I always wanted to to have a horse, and that was always my dream, to get one. And... Decided about uh, 22 years ago to move to New York and uh, got into horses here, and it was different. I was riding Western out in the Midwest, and you come to New York and everyone's riding English, but I adapted fairly quickly to that and started riding much more than I ever did when I was living in Wisconsin, which I didn't think would ever happen. And when I got a chance to join the mounted unit, it was just something that just came to me like a dream. I was watching The Prince of Tides, uh, Barbara Streisand's movie, which a lot of it was filmed in New York, obviously. And there's a scene in Central Park, and you see the Parks Department horses going by, and I'm like, oh, that's what I want to do. And a couple of weeks later, there was an ad in the New York Times, hmm. and I sent them a cover letter, and uh, the director or the captain of the mounted unit um, actually knew one of the gentlemen that used to run the barn where I was at when I moved to New York, and it was just a small world, and she uh, said, you know, send me your resume, let me see if I can get you in the mounted unit, and I'm like, great, and I I loved it. Riding in Central Park and being on a horse, I really think there is not anything better in the world that I could be doing, and I enjoyed it. The thing that sort of got me started on the next step of my journey was when we were coming across Abandoned Animals, uh, the big flagship parks in New York such as Prospect Park or um, Van Cortlandt, people are always dumping unwanted animals in the park, and that was part of the thing. People that were in the park would see us on horseback, so they figured, oh, well, I'll ask the mounted officer what to do with this abandoned dog, cat, gerbil, rabbit, whatever it is, and inevitably we would be the ones running them over to the shelter. And when i that was the first time I came to the New York City shelters, and it was just really overwhelming to me to go in there and see that many animals I mean hundreds and hundreds of animals up for adoption and knowing that most of them are not going to find a home it just really disturbed me it just it makes me cry anytime I have to go into any shelter when I see that many animals there and uh, unfortunately there were some changes in, in the parks department and I knew I loved what I was doing but I thought there was more that I could do and I spoke to a friend who was working at the ASPCA, and he thought it would be a good move for me. And I thought, you know, I think maybe this is. Maybe this is the next step for me. And I hadn't planned it, but I'll give it a go. And uh, I worked a lot with the carriage horses, which I enjoyed, and regular cruelty cases. Really decided, you know, I'm I'm one person, and I can do so much but the, the big thing is here is you, you're wearing this officer hat. You know, you're out there enforcing the law. But there's a lot of times when I have to be an educator or I'm a social worker, and you kind of got to be all things to all people. And uh, I just thought, there's so much I can do. There's so much work that needs to be done here. And I think the really frustrating thing about living in New York was when I grew up, in Wisconsin, it's it's a very white bred world, and everybody has a pet, and it's a part of your family. And you move to New York, and it's a melting pot, and you you have people from all over the world, and they do not view animals the same way as they, the Midwest does. You know, it's it's. I've, I've been to homes where some people have had a dog that they have had zero contact with the dog's entire life. That dog has sat out in the backyard. They don't even go out to feed it. They throw food out there. Mm. I mean, literally no interaction with the animal. It just blows my mind. I'm like, what's the point? You know, if you're not using it for protection, what is the point of having this animal? And really trying to, you know, get inside someone's mind to see what is this about? What is it about your culture? What is this I don't understand that I need to understand to help you be a pet, a better pet owner? So that was part of, uh, you know, what I was doing here in New York. And that's part of the reason why I decided to write this book. I felt like I accomplished a lot while working at the ASPCA, but I feel like there's more I can do. So,
2: and so so the book was to um to teach other people about some of these experiences that you had so that they would become better pet owners.
6: Right. I mean, I wrote this to, to raise awareness of the animal issues and to help promote animal adoption. Those are two things uh-huh. that are really near and dear to my heart. Like I said, there's just too many animals in the shelter system Is Well, talking about w-
2: well, tell us about 9 um, 11 because that was one of the chapters that I read that really um, made me cry. Um, t- why don't you just tell us about that, what your experience was with 9 11 and rescuing the pets?
6: The, the day that it actually happened was a Tuesday. 9 11 fell on a Tuesday that year. I was actually off and was with my co author. Uh, we were together that day, and I just remember thinking, like, what are we going to do tomorrow? What's going to happen? I I knew we wouldn't be focusing on our normal cruelty investigations, and I had been trying to call the ASPCA, and the phone lines were down. I didn't even know what was going to happen the next day. And I finally managed to get a hold of our vice president, and he said, you know, we need anybody who can come in to work. You You know, they're going to be meeting with the Office of Emergency Management and discuss on how we can help people get their pets out, because people were told to evacuate. They just left their homes thinking... Oh, maybe it's a few hours, not thinking it would be days, weeks, or even longer. So uh, the following day, that Wednesday, the 12th, only three of us were able to make it in. And while the powers that be of the FPC were meeting with the Office of Emergency Management, the three agents, myself in that batch, were answering phones. And hundreds of people were calling. I mean, we were inundated with calls of people who didn't know... If their loved one, friend, relative, neighbor was coming back, they knew that they worked in the World Trade Center. They knew they had a dog or a cat, and they didn't know what to do. And it was just really heartbreaking to listen to stories like that. I mean, it was just story after story, and you know, trying to be reassuring. I you know, I'd never been involved with a, a disaster of this magnitude, and it you was. Know, learning curve for me, but just trying to give them something to hold on to, some kind of hope. You know, you've just been through this traumatic event, and you just want to think that, you know, hopefully this person is okay, and trying to reassure them that their animal is going to be okay. So uh, by the the 13th, then, we had been given clearance through the Office of Emergency Management to actually go down uh, to Pier 40, which is about a mile north of Ground Zero, and set up our base there to start rescuing animals. And that's how we started our first day there. And there were hundreds of people already there waiting for us because they had been advertising on the radio and on the television. You know, if you need to get your animal out, please go down to Pier 40. And we were just overwhelmed. It wasn't just us. There were several other humane organizations that had come in, other city agencies that had agreed to help because there were just too many people down there for just our agency to handle. And at that time, there were only ten officers And maybe five of us had made it to work that day. So there was a lot of work that needed to be done.
2: And you went with the people.
6: So that day we had set up uh, the system. You know, uh, the news had set up, you know, you needed to bring ID. You needed to be able to show that some kind of proof that you weren't just coming into someone's apartment because there were people who were doing that, which is really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But... uh, we were able then to start bringing people in down to ground zero. And the problem was at the time, and you have been into New York, so you know if you were just to go down the West Side Highway, you would be there in just a few minutes. But the West Side Highway had been turned into a parking lot for emergency vehicles, for television news crews. It was a parking lot. So then what was going to happen was we were going to come across Manhattan on Houston Street, go back down the FDR drive, Back up through the underpass and get into ground zero. But there were checkpoints along the way, there were frozen zones, there were streets that were reversed, and it was uh, quite a lengthy trip.
2: Oh my, our, t- <laughs> our time is. Going by so quickly, we need to take another break. We'll stop the story right then and we'll come back to it after the break. We're talking today about pets and PTSD. My guests, Dr. Lauren Lindner and Tina Salex. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. So stay tuned.
1: the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. that's 1-866-472-5787 thank
6: you for calling
1: voiceamerica.com
7: everything you want everything you want to do and everything you want to have is right at your fingertips people think that accomplishing your goals has to be difficult guess what it doesn't all you need are the right tools and a map.
3: Rich,
7: and that is what author, professional speaker, and now talk radio host Sharman Lane is offering you. Join Charmin Wednesday afternoons at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel for success made simple.
0: If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about pets and PTSD with um, women who have devoted their lives to pets, saving them, rescuing them, protecting them, taking care of them. Uh, Dr. Lauren Lindner and Tina Salix. We were talking before the break about um, Tina's experience, helping trying to help people get back to their pets after 9/11, and um, and of course all the chaos and and pain that people were and pets were feeling. So why don't you continue that that story? Uh,
6: we were so short on personnel. It's just that and. and the amount of time that it actually took us to get down there it would take us sometimes an hour to go down to ground zero or just outside say Battery Park City which is its uh, surrounding neighbor there and there was no power so then you're going up 20 and 30 flights of stairs to get this animal that's been stuck in the apartment for you know starting anywhere from 2 to 10 days Hmm. and uh, the problem was like say if we had cats the cat's weren't coming out. <laughs> the dogs were always really good. Like, <laughs> they hear that click of the door, they were all come running. But the cats, you know, the owners are getting afraid because the cats aren't coming out. And then it's like, okay, let's start going through all the, the cats hiding places, hoping we can find them, and eventually you know, we would. Thank God all the animals I was able to rescue were alive. I mean, I was fortunate I didn't have any animals that had any underlying medical problems. So that was good because, uh, you know, I just can't imagine being an owner of a pet having to live through this horrible experience and then on top of it, you know, your animal dies. I just, that would have been really horrible, but thankfully I did not have to deal with that. Um, but, you know, some I remember some people in, in law enforcement, other agencies that were down there were kind of like giving us the eyebrow, like, well, why are you here kind of look. And I, I talked about this a little bit in, in the book. It was just like, some of these people have lost everything. These people who worked at the World Trade Center no longer have a job, and they've lost their coworkers. They have this pet that means the world to them. If that pet means that much to them, it's definitely going to mean that much to me. And I want to do whatever I can to help this person have some small comfort and get their animal out, whether it's a dog, cat, a lizard, a turtle, a bird, whatever. And you know, some people kind of you know they give you that funny look, and I'm like. People love what they love, and that's a great thing. And I would never rain on that parade. And if it's going to give them some amount of com- some small comfort, I'm all for that. And that's why we did what we did.
2: Yes, and, and in this chapter um, on September 11th, the animals. Um, there's a running um, commentary interspersed with some of the particular stories um, of animals that you rescued, but there's a, a story from the animal's perspective, from a dog's perspective, and I'll just read a little bit of it, but, um, well, let me just, the tense minutes of sleep when they come are a relief. Awake, she is in a state of low-level panic, remembering over and over the events of the day before. The noise, engine sounds, too loud, too close, and then a slamming and silence. Instinct tells her to freeze. She waits, understanding something very bad is about to happen, is happening, has happened. The windows are closed, the apartment far above street level, but slowly another noise begins. And in the quiet apartment, she hears it very clearly, the sound of people screaming. Agitated, she scrambles toward the front door, freezes again, darts forward, freezes, instinct having failed her. Finally, she bolts into the bedroom and finds the corner. And it goes on, but you know it, of course, as this animal gets more and more desperate because nobody is coming to rescue it and and you know the emotions that is that are described for the animal um, the re- it was so powerful because. We really can identify with how people felt too, but people pretend that they 're not feeling these things unfortunately because that 's not good for their mental health and yet when you when you hear it from uh, or you imagine it from the part of an animal, you know you really can connect with how we all were feeling, but with an animal um, who doesn 't really uh, censor itself you know i mean in these um, sort of imaginary ramblings of what the animal was feeling. Um, The animal doesn't censor itself, and so we really can connect better with what we would would be feeling in those same circumstances.
6: You bring up a really great point. And this is the only chapter that we did that, but we felt that it was really important to do, is to try to give the animal's point of view during all of this, because I think it's really important. You know, people be aware they, they do have feelings. Some people just... You know, think, oh, it's just, just a stupid animal. And I'm like, you know, why are you down here risking your life to get an animal? I'm like, it's not a stupid animal. I think it's probably a little more clever than you are. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's it, it just trying to change people's mindsets. And it's, it's
2: now, Dr. Lindner, you've done some research um, contributing to some articles about PTSD in monkeys and elephants. Um and could you just talk a little bit about PPSD in animals in general?
3: Sure. Um, I guess it really comes as no surprise that given the social and neurobiological similarities between species that humans and other animals would experience post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder is something that occurs largely in veteran populations. That's why you see so much treatment going on at the VA hospitals in that regard, but also um, anyone who suffers a life-threatening experience where their life is actually uh, threatened and they believe that they're going to die, creating this kind of anxiety response. And um, the, the the very similarities that exist um, between us, uh, ironically, are also the reasons why we want to use animals in, let's say, biomedical research or in entertainment because they they... They dance like a, like a dancing bear or they, you know, jump and through hoops and things that we can relate to. Um, but the fact is that they also have um, brains that are very similar and react to uh, anxiety and stressors very much like we do. So they develop post-traumatic stress disorder or uh, a similar kind, we call it, uh, sim- more similar to complex PTSD, which has been described by Judith Herman and others in the research um, material. So we, what, we're, what we're finding with these animals is that they, um, they have very similar symptoms, and we can treat them as well. And there have been uh, several psychiatrists and, and anthropologists who have suggested that um, animals like the great apes and chimpanzees and elephants and parrots might benefit from psychiatric treatment. But we were wondering what form might this take? And we did some research at a chimpanzee sanctuary that exists in Montreal, but um you you might be able to see this apply to some of the other chimpanzee sanctuaries that also um, that that we also have in in the United States and um the The idea is that you try to reestablish the trust that gets really destroyed when um, human-caused post-traumatic stress, um, you know, exists. Very often, you know, due to hurricanes or earthquakes or other natural disasters, um, you might have a, a post-traumatic stress disorder, but it seems as though the, these disorders are worse when they're human-caused. Um, the, the, the trust that gets really... Um, Really destroyed in these in these kinds kinds of situations. It's something that we're finding can be reestablished with um, people who understand um, what what these animals are going through and who can relate and can be sensitive to their kinds of um, distress. And that's what's interesting about uh, working with parrots and veterans is that the veterans who work with them also have been diagnosed with post traumatic stress disorder. So. They have trust issues; They have issues with um, difficulty with relationships and reestablishing social ties and being able to um, express themselves emotionally and be able to 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 grow in that in that area and that's what we're seeing with the birds that the birds are really helping them to to come at, so-called come out of their shell you know and we're 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 extremely pleased with the progress we 've been seeing. Uh, with the parrots at at Serenity Park Sanctuary and with the veterans.
2: That's really interesting how, um, you know, the veterans have become good therapists for the parrots because they understand what they're going through.
3: Yeah, it really is a mutually healing situation.
2: Now, um, uh, I I didn't give actually your title at the beginning because you uh, spent several years in as a psychologist at the VA.
3: What was your title? I was act- actually the clinical director of a program called New Directions, which is located at the West Los Angeles VA Hospital. But uh, New Directions actually is a non-profit program on the grounds of the VA, and uh, I was there as their clinical director, not directly as an employee of the VA.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, what what do you think about the, the what we were talking about just before in regard to um, Tina's rescuing of of the animals after 9-11? I mean, comp- put, trying to put some of um, the knowledge that you have from research on PTSD in animals, what can you say about the animals that were um, waiting for their owners left behind in these buildings near Ground Zero?
3: Oh, well, Well, first of all, Tina becomes a hero in my book. <laughs> but, um, I mean, but clearly these animals had to be experiencing some distress. Everyone who knows or has had a companion animal in their home knows that animals have feelings. I mean, there's no doubt about that anymore. The, the you know, Cartesian model of, you know, animals being feelingless is, is, has long been de- debunked um, by recent research in, in the last 50 years or so. And, um the, the, these animals clearly were distressed, um, wondering where their, you know, guardians are and hearing all those sounds that were so unfamiliar and frightening, uh, you would imagine that um, they would they would have been, you know, quite distressed and the relief coming from, you know, finally seeing some human, having some human contact must have been great. And we will
2: uh, <laughs> leave that right there. We'll be back. We're talking today about pets and PTSD. My guests are Dr. Lauren Lindner, a psychologist and researcher and the founder of Parrot Care, and Tina Salex, who is the author of Paw and Order, Dramatic Investigations by an Animal Cop on the Beat. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking about pets and PTSD with Dr. Lauren Lindner and Tina Salix. And... um, you know, you both of you ladies have such fascinating stories to tell. We could go on for hours. Um, I, I could listen to you for hours. Unfortunately, we're, this is our last segment, so I'll just give each of you the floor to talk about um, something that's sort of particularly dear and near to your heart these days. Tina, do you want to go first? Sure.
6: Um, I would say thanks again for having me on today. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity just to uh, talk to people about pets and and symptoms of uh, PTSD. Uh, but to make things perhaps a little bit lighter is just mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about adoption. And, okay. And um, this is just something that's really near and dear to my heart. And, and something I've always said to people is I think that pets make us better balanced people. And I think if, if that's true, and, Lauren, you may agree with that, but I think if we're better balanced people, maybe we'll make a better balanced world. That That's my goal. That's my little mm-hmm. contribution to all of this. This is my little piece of the puzzle you know, I, I can't solve world peace. I, I can't fix global warming, but I can do this little thing, and that's why I, I do this. This is why I'm so passionate about animal causes. I know how I am when I'm around animals, and I see my friends who are animal lovers, and if I can just make a difference, whatever it is, you know, fill fill the need there. That's what I want to do, and, um, you know, people think... Uh, they don't have time for an animal. A friend of mine has been talking about this. She's like, I'm just never home. And, you know, think about getting something. and I'm not home for a dog. I'm like, well, get a cat. She's like, well, it'll be lonely. But I'm like, get two cats. They are perfectly content to entertain themselves while you're gone. They're happy to see you and be fed and, and be, you know, greeting, greeted by you when you come home for work. But I'm like, she's like, well, I'm not spending that much time with them. I'm like, is it better off that they're in a shelter Mm. Sitting in a cage. Do you know? I mean, people think like that. I'm just trying to get them sort of think out of the box. I know that sounds lame sometimes, but I'm like, there's just little things we can do. It's just starting with the little things, and once the little things are fixed, we can move on to the bigger things. That's
2: well, you know, and you're, it's, you know, it's not really such a little thing. I, I mean, I, I think that that this is very important work. And um, in fact, when people, I mean, yes, of course, there are more and more studies showing that if you have a pet. Um, it does help your heart, it helps your overall health, it helps you not be as depressed. I mean, there, there are, the research is gathering more and more facts to show that um, it really is helpful to people, no less helpful to the adopted animals. Um, and so, yes, the, the the step from there to world peace is really not that much of a leap, you know, if everybody does it one person at a time and one one or two or three pets at a time. Um, you know, I know, Lauren, you can relate to that in terms of your parrots.
3: Absolutely, and I love the idea that we can work towards world peace in this way. I also always felt like if you do what you love, then you never work a day in your life. I, I always love that saying, and and working with animals and bringing them together with veterans really has been just a blessing for me. And and it's true, animals have been shown to to help the elderly with Alzheimer's. They've recently been shown to. Help um, people with PTSD, and of course, in all those other ways that we know, in reducing blood pressure and helping healing after surgery, and it, it, more and more research, as you said, is coming up in this area. And so, the idea of adoptions really is, I think, critical, and, and is probably the basis for what I, what I do, what I do, why I do what I do, and what I. What the difference is with birds, though, is that many people really can't provide them what we consider the, the, the essentials for bird health and well-being, which is sunlight, flight, flocking, and foraging. These are the things that veterinarians that are board-certified in avian care know are essential for the well-being of birds. So the best way to do that is in an aviary or sanctuary setting. And what I like to say is, cause most people cannot build aviaries in their backyards or on their balconies I like to tell them that they can adopt a parrot and sponsor one at our sanctuary or other sanctuaries for parrots around the country and provide the, the support, the financial support for that bird and we'll do all the cleanup. we'll take care of all <laughs> the mess and you can come and feed your bird and name your bird and see him wherever you want but you can also still go on vacation and um, you know, retire and take that trip around the world or whatever you want to do, and you don't have to worry about the bird's care so much. We'll take care of that. And if 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 not that and you really think that you can provide the proper care for a bird for its lifetime, by all means adopt and, and don't contribute to the birdie mills that exist, just like um, the puppy mills, which we should all know now are, um, you know, devastating places for dogs to be to, to grow up. So, well, why don't you? That, that
2: leads perfectly into um, why don't you tell people how they can find out more information by
3: going to your website? Absolutely. We invite you to visit us at org. That's parrotcare.org and also a toll free number, 866 Parrot Care. And we are updating our website to include more information about the Sanctuary and about our upcoming big event, which we would love to have all your listeners join us at. Do you have a date for that yet? Yes, it's June 14th at 12 noon. It's flag day West. and it will be in the, at the West LA VA Hospital.
2: Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> this is a good excuse for all of you who don't live in Southern California to make the trip. <laughs> it's a beautiful, very special site, so... Um, so that would be a good reason to come. And, uh, and of course, if people are living in Southern California listening to this show, this is easy for you. Um, Tina, why don't you tell people about your website and about where they can get the book?
6: Paw and Order is available at all major bookstores and online. Everybody has it at the moment, which is great. And uh, the website will be up next week, which is Paw and Order at wordpress.com you need email, you can also try pawnorder at gmail.
2: Okay, that's easy. <laughs> well, I would like to thank both of you for being on the show. This, um, uh, and I, I, I do want to encourage my listeners to go to both of the websites to get the book, to, bo- to go to the website, um, you know, many people are not as familiar with parrots as they are with cats and dogs. Um, and so this, is, this has been very informative. And, um, it, you know, from the, sort of the, the soft side, the feeling side, the PTSD, putting the pets on the couch side, um, not just as something that, that you have for security and you throw them a bone literally um, once in a while. So it really, it, this, this bonding between people and pets is so important for both, and yes, I, I think the the concept of that um, making that bonding going towards world peace—you know, one bond at a time—I I think is really something that we can think of because um, because so many times we get overwhelmed with well, what can I do for world peace? You know, how how am I just one person? What what can I do to change the world? And this is something that uh, it's just like spreading one more act of kindness. Um, you know, one one act at a time, making the chain, and this chain now is including pets, and uh, it's also, um, you know, I talk about in my book on on terrorism, coping with terrorism. Um, I talk about how important it is for people to have pets because um, taking care of a pet, having that responsibility, makes you feel better about. Um, you being taken care of, in other words, it's kind of uh, since since we're all feeling that nobody's <laughs> nobody's home taking care of us, um, you know no no parents to uh, we're not little kids anymore we're the ones in responsibility. We have to take care of ourselves and sometimes our families um, taking care of a of a pet is really something that can in a, its own sort of paradoxical way make us feel more cared for. Certainly when you open the door and there's something jumping jumping up on you and, and licking you, certainly that's a way, too, to feel loved and safe. So thank you both. Uh, Dr. Lauren Lindner, the founder of Parrot Care, and again, that's uh, ParrotCare.org. And Tina Salix, the author of Paw and Order, Dramatic Investigations by an Animal Cop on the Beat. And uh, that would be Paw and Order at Gmail for the moment. And, uh, and also in, in all places that books are sold. So, thank you both for being on Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
0: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.